As many of us know from childhood experiences, there's a lot that can go wrong when it comes to keeping marine life like goldfish fed, safe, healthy, and stimulated. So imagine how much effort it takes to run a successful aquarium where thousands of gallons of water house everything from tiny snails to bigger animals like sharks and seals. On today's Please Explain segment, we are taking a dive behind the scenes at the aquarium, and we're joined by John Lenzicki, the animal curator at the Maritime Aquarium at Norwalk in Norwalk, Connecticut, and by that aquarium's publicist, Dave Sigworth. Welcome to our show. Good morning. Or good afternoon. Good morning. Thank you. Uh, at, at sea, I guess it, you don't know whether it's morning or afternoon, do you? Uh, <laughs> That's where the sun well, is. I, I, I realized that right off the bat, and I also thought, well, he didn't know the difference that a goldfish is not actually marine life, though. So. Oh, that's true. Time. Well, yeah. Well, <laughs> forgive me, I'm a talk show host. Um, and we invite our audience to join the conversation. If you have a question about some aspect of running an aquarium, you can give us a call at two one two four three three nine six nine two. You can write to us on our show page at wmyc.org or on Facebook or Twitter, where our handle is at Leonard Lopate. Dave, when did the aquarium open? Maritime Aquarium opened in 1988, July 1988, so we're actually fast approaching our 30th anniversary. And uh, I wonder if aquarium approaches, philosophies, methods have changed over the years. Are there things that aquariums, or should I say aquaria, would do in the 80s that we know better about now? Oh, I think in a number of ways. Some of it is how we are able to care for animals. Some of it is uh, new ways to display, care for and display animals that weren't displayed even in the 1980s. Some of it is an awareness of public concern about uh, especially marine mammals uh, and whether or not they should be displayed in aquariums. So, yeah, I think uh, in the 30 years that we've been opened, I'm sure... um, you know, there are new things displayed, there are new ways to display them, and there's new thoughts to how people like to experience aquariums. Do you need any special accreditation to open an aquarium? You don't. Well, John, like, you can answer that one better than I can. I mean, the USDA regulates uh, all or some of our animals, um, so there is that aspect to it. it depends on the kind USDA, of the Department display. of Agriculture? Correct. Hmm. Yeah, Dave, let, let me pick it up here. Uh, to answer your question, basically, no, you don't need a special accreditation to open aquarium, um, but it really depends upon the animals that you choose to display. Uh, so, for example, Dave referenced the USDA. Uh, the USDA and APHIS, which is the Animal Plant Health Inspection Service, um, oversee our marine mammal collection. Uh, they are the federal uh, agency that uh, issues licenses and, and permits to, to house marine mammals. So in that respect, um, if you were to go to that route, you would need uh, a license in order to do so, but not necessarily specific accreditation. Uh, in fact, we opened in 88 without accreditation, uh, but sought to achieve uh, AZA, which is the American Zoo and Aquarium Association accreditation back in 2013, and, and we did so successfully. Do they send inspectors? They absolutely do. Uh, we get exp- inspected by the USDA uh, several times a year unannounced. Uh, they look at everything from the temperature of the fish that we're holding to our uh, food intake records to uh, our water quality for our, our marine mammal tanks. 
And then with the U.S. – I'm sorry, with the AZA, uh, we go through a re reaccreditation process uh, every five years. And what's the – go ahead, finish. And, and they themselves will send a team out here uh, composed of, of uh, uh, aquarium professionals, uh, veterinarians, um, and will inspect our facility from head to toe. What's the range of inhabitants in your collection? Mollusks, fish, mammals, have what else? All the above, all the above. <laughs> um, and and it's, it's actually changed quite a bit over the years. When, when I went, in, went to school and thought uh, my passion in life was marine biology, I got my degree in marine biology and thought I'd be, you know, uh, focused on the marine environment. Uh, what uh, I was very fortunate to... Um, uh, experience uh, in my tenure here, and I've been here uh, almost 29 years, was not only taking care of marine life, such as uh, you know fish and and, and marine mammals, um, but I've had the great experience of working with Malaysian flying foxes, Egyptian fruit bats, uh, Asian water monitors, uh, Chinese water dragons, uh, Madagascar ground boas, um, meerkats, uh, North American river otters. So. Um, all of those animals we have or have on display uh, at the aquarium here, and uh, it, it's just been uh, a, a much broader and um, and educating experience for me than I ever dreamed of. Well, I'd heard that you limited yourself to uh, sea life from nearby. Obviously, that's not true. Well, it, it was originally. I mean, that was the original business model. Um, but there are, there's always the need to uh, change and create reasons for people to come back time and time again. Um, what was most uh, beneficial to us early on was our involvement with the Jason Project and Dr. Bob Ballard. Uh, if Bob Ballard was doing research in the Sea of Cortez, um, and we were involved in that in that program. Um, that gave us a reason to create displays on the Sea of Cortez, and and relate them to the work that was being done by Bob Ballard and the uh, and the Jason Project. Um, but in order to survive, we we are constantly looking at different ways to um, change our exhibitry and and more so connect. Uh, other environments to our own backyard. And Dave, the, the public seems increasingly aware of animal rights issues. Has that changed how things are done? Uh, I don't think that that's changed too much because we don't go the route of trying to have uh, orcas here or beluga whales. And so we, we our, our feet haven't been in that water where we've needed to, um, to worry about uh, people who have concerns in that regard. I do want to, you know, Leonard, I want to circle back on two things. One thing, you know, that you know, John was referring to and how we get inspected. AZA, and correct me if I'm wrong, John, but AZA also isn't just looking at our animals. They're looking at our guest experience or our guests' uh, safeties and things like that. So, you know, we're not just worried about the animals, but we want to make sure that the people, here, uh, our guests as they come through, are um, experienced uh, experiencing the best oppor opportunities to view animals as well. Um, and the other thing, Leonard, you mentioned this a little bit, just to stress, yes, we, we are about Long Island Sound, and our, and our mission hasn't changed. Uh, it's just been expanded, I guess. So we, we do sometimes have animals come in from outside uh, Long Island Sound, um, but the other thing is we've also been able to learn how to display some of the animals in Long Island Sound that we couldn't display when we first opened. So I just I do want to those were thoughts that occurred to me. I just want to make sure I get that in. Now we uh, we have talked recently on this show about 
octopuses who can escape from their aquarium tanks. Uh, they've some of those uh, videos have gone viral on the internet. Have any of your animals escaped? Uh, thankfully, no. <laughs> None of our animals have have escaped. Um, all right, John, we yeah, have to add the, do you know the story I'm thinking of there? We have had an animal that tried to join the aquarium. Yes, yes, I know that story. Ago. I'm not sure so, whether our audience does or not. So is that how you get your animals? They, they, <laughs> they say, uh, that looks a lot better than where I am right now? Well, oh, I wish so, that were true. So I what wish I'm that were true. The, the story, this is the, one of the, our favorite stories here, Leonard, was uh, so our seal exhibit is an indoor-outdoor seal exhibit, and, and the outdoor portion of it is on the courtyard that, that backs up to the Norwalk River. And this happened maybe five, six years ago. We had a deer, deer are actually very good swimmers, swim across the Norwalk River and come up onto our courtyard, saw this cement, circular cement wall, decided I'll jump the wall, and ended up jumping <laughs> right into our seal exhibit. So... Uh, we we it took a while. John was actually the one that managed to get it by the scruff of his neck and pull it out of there. But uh, that's generally not how we get our animals. Well, John, Wid, how do you get your animals from the wild, from other aquariums? Do you breed them? Well, all all the above, uh, and and there's certain certainly an order of preference and importance there. Um, if you can breed an animal, that's great. If if you've created an environment. Uh, that facilitates and allows an animal to breed, you know you've done a, a really good job in, in recreating his environment uh, and that he has all the essentials uh, that he, and he or she needs to, to breed in captivity. So, What conditions uh, do you need to provide for animals to oh, breed? That, that, that varies from species to species. Uh, you know, with fish, it, it has everything to do with the male-to-female sex ratio within the exhibit. Uh, the type of substrate, uh, the photo period, the temperature, um, all of those things are contributors to successful breeding. And uh, one of the challenges we have as uh, aquarium professionals is identifying those parameters that are essential uh, to create breeding within, within the captive uh, or human care environment. Um, some challenges have been overcome, uh, and, and breeding programs are extraordinarily successful. Others are, are quite a bit challenging, and it's identifying those, those cues and those, those nuances that uh, are essential to, to make that happen. Do you have to take special care in dealing with newborns? Oh, absolutely. Uh, nutritional uh, and environmental requirements for a newborn is entirely different than that what it would be for an adult, depending upon the species, of course. Uh, when you're talking about jellyfish, um, really the, the nutritional and, and food source requirements for, for developing a, uh, an, a phyra into a, in a, into a medusa are basically the same requirements that that medusa or that adult stage jellyfish has as well. Don't seahorses sometimes eat their young? Do you have to get the babies away from their parents? They sometimes do, and that is always the best course of action is to get those babies away from, from dad as quickly as possible. Now, you said uh, you talked about jellyfish. I understand that it's surprisingly difficult to keep jellyfish. Why? Well, for one, one reason is that they are planktonic. Most people think of plankton as being a microscopic animal, whereas plankton is actually an animal, any animal, that lacks the ability to swim against the tide. Um, so when you look at, for example, the lion's mane jellyfish, which in the Arctic or subarctic can get to eight feet across and have tentacles over 200 feet long, 
That is actually a plankton. They do not have that ability to swim against the tide. Wow. Um, so how do you design a So do they get caught in filters? That's, it. That's the challenge. How do you design a system that extracts, filters, and returns the water to a system and does and yet doesn't doesn't pull out an animal that can't swim against that current or that tide. Uh, so it, it it took some 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 ingenuity to uh, to come up with that design. Um, and you know, like Dave said, there there are certainly things that have changed since we've opened, and uh, the culturing and maintenance of jellyfish is one of those things. And we have uh, a listener who wants to know more about that. He called our number two one two four three three nine six nine two. Stephen from Yonkers, you're on the air. Hi, good afternoon, everyone. Just want to say I'm a member of the aquarium, and I've been going there with my youngest granddaughter since she was three. She's now nine, and now we all go on my second granddaughter as well. One of our favorite things is the jellyfish, especially that big tube in the dark room. It's filled with jellyfish. Do you breed the jellyfish? Every one of those animals in there has been bred here in, in, in the aquarium. Wow, that's great. And also that big shark tank is beautiful, too. I'll let you get back to your talk. And thanks for a great exhibit and a great place. Thanks for visiting Thank you, us. Stephen. And we're going to take a little break. We'll come back with John Linzicki and Dave Sigworth. We're talking about uh, life in an aquarium on today's Please Explain. And we invite your calls at 212-433-9692. You can write to us on our show page at WMIC.org or on Facebook or Twitter, where our handle is at Leonard Lopate. We're back with today's Please Explain Look at Aquariums. And our guests are John Linzicki and Dave Sigworth of the uh, Maritime Aquarium in Norwalk, Connecticut. And we're inviting your calls at 212-433-9692. You can write to us on our show page at WNYC.org or on Facebook or Twitter where I handle this at Leonard Lopate. I was wondering about when what you put together in a tank. I hear there's a barracuda in your sea turtle tank right now, and I always wonder about those multi-animal displays. How do you know that two different species are going to get along? Barracudas uh, are really dangerous fish, aren't they? Well, they're very predatory fish. Let me put it that well, way. Well, that's what uh, I meant. I didn't <laughs> want to be near one. But, you know, most predators... Um, are very cautious about what they eat, and and more importantly, um, will will do the very least to expend any energy in order to get what they need. Um, so, for example, we also have sharks in our open ocean tank, and um, it provided they're fed um, and fed regularly, and there's no need for them to expend any energy to take out for lack of a better term, another uh, uh, tank mate, um, they tend not to do so. Um, we've, got a, we've got a good group of sharks in our, in our open ocean tank. Um, I've had them for years and years and years. Um, and the barracuda uh, is, is also just a, quite a compatible animal to the animals that we have in the tank with him. The sea turtles, obviously, uh, our largest sea turtle in that tank is close to 280, 290 pounds. Um, something a barracuda is not even going to think about. Um, but most of the fish are about his size as well. Um, so knock on wood, it's, it's been a good marriage of the, uh, of the, uh, the inhabitants we have in that tank uh, up to this point. Isn't the barracuda online from another New England aquarium? How do you 
transport them? Well, it is, and, and getting back to your previous question about uh, where we obtain our animals, we, we started talking about breeding, and that, uh, uh, that again, is, is your best source of, of getting animals is being able to breed them yourselves. Um, another source is certainly working in cooperation with other aquariums. Uh, exhibits that, have, uh, that are being um, replaced by new exhibits oftentimes have surplus animals, and, and we as a professional community uh, interact and communicate with each other con constantly. Um, AZA has an animal exchange uh, component to their, to their website and uh, their membership. So um, if, if I'm looking to surplus an animal, for example, if we have a tremendous amount of breeding, well, here's a great example. We've, uh, one of my aquarists has uh, recently bred some gray tree frogs. We now have 85 gray tree frogs uh, that is she, she is raising to adulthood. Um, we don't have the need to display 85 of them, so what we will do is either go on the Internet to a listserv, uh, a, 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 a community of professionals who are focused on one very specific topic, such as uh, reptiles and amphibians or fish or marine mammals, whatever it may be, uh, where we may post the availability for surplus, a number of those great tree frogs that, uh, that she has propagated. Now, we have talked uh, over the years about the possibility that some frog species may go extinct. Uh, are aquariums a place that uh, we might hope that... Uh, uh, we'd be able to keep them alive? That, that is always the hope. That is part of, uh, uh, again, one of the ultimate goals of uh, AZA and their species uh, survival plan. Um, between that group along with the TAG groups, which is the taxon advisory groups, as well as the uh, 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 population management center, all of these people get together and try to do their best to uh, keep the species going, uh, keep the genetic diversity going within those species, and, and be able to uh, keep them around as, as long as we can. Let's take some calls. Danielle from Morristown, New Jersey. You're on the air. Hi. I'm not sure if I have a great connection. Can you hear me? We hear you yeah. fine. Yeah. Okay, great. I understand that a lot of aquariums have a rehab and release program, and I was just wondering how you go about ramping up those animals set for release to ensure they have success in the wild? To answer your question, um, it, it's really not within my realm because we are not a, a rehab and release facility. Uh, the state of Connecticut has one letter holder from the federal government for rehab and rescue of marine mammals and, and turtles, and that is Mystic Marine Life Aquarium. Um, but to, to somewhat answer your question, it really depends upon the nature of why that animal is stranded and why, it, why it's in need of being rehabbed. Um, so it, 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 it really depends upon what the, the situation and the, and the problem is. Well, you have seals, uh, and are all those seals babies when you get them? Um, several, in fact, half of our seals were uh, born in captivity. Um, in fact, Susie, who unfortunately passed away uh, from our facility last year, uh, this past year, uh, Susie was 43 years old, the second oldest seal in the United States. Um, she um, lived a glorious life uh, both here and at Mystic Aquarium and gave birth to several uh, offspring while she was in captivity, one of which is uh, currently on display here at the Maritime Aquarium, her daughter Tilly. Uh, 
Um, so some of our animals have been found as uh, orphaned animals. Um, Layla, for example. And Susie. Lay- uh, Layla, for Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, Layla, for example, was found uh, abandoned in the Gulf of Maine. Uh, turns out she had a chronic problem with, uh, with infection, and even though she was rehabbed and brought back to health, due, due to that chronic problem and that ever-reoccurring problem, she was deemed unreleasable and, uh, and is currently and has been in our care for, for a great number of years now. Don't seals molt? They do. When and why? That's a good question. I wish. Yeah, I, I've been molting now for a number of years, um, and I really wish it were a true molt, and and some of what I have lost would would come back. I prefer a chocolate um, malt myself. <laughs> I honestly don't know the physiological uh, reasons for molting because you know certainly with a dog it's it's due to and it's not true molting. Uh, they put on excess air during the winter time for for greater insulation. Uh, but with seals, it's different. They they shed their entire coats and and it and it and it regrows. And I don't know the I don't know what nature's uh, design was for uh, or plan was for that design. Is it messy to clean? Uh, it it does take a little bit more maintenance on the filter baskets in the seal seal pool exhibit and and a little bit more backwashing on the filters. Uh, but no, it's 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 not terribly difficult to clean. Mary from Harlem, hi. You're on the air. Hi there. Um, I have a question. I love going to uh, aquariums, and I go quite a bit. But I invited my sister, and she did not want to go because she thought it was cruel to the fish to be in these smaller spaces and all that. But I heard that, you know, maybe they don't need that. Their parameters are small that they need to live. So I, I, I just wondered your question about it, your answer about it. Uh, and again, that really depends upon uh, the animal that you're talking about, whether it's a sedentary animal, uh, a benthic animal that lives on the bottom that has a very narrow uh, home range, or whether it's a pelagic species, an animal that, that tends to uh, swim great distances and or, or migrate. Um, as far as the marine mammals, the, the USDA uh, has very, very strict standards, USDA and National Marine Fisheries, on the size and type of containment facilities that house marine mammals. Um, and what we look at for, um, for our animals is the depth of the tank, the turnaround spaces within that tank, the volume of the tank. We also look at the dry surface area. Um, so right now, for example, we're rated to have seven seals within our exhibit, but if we have one male, we can only have five. And the reason for that is those regulations go further to not only account for the species of animals, but the sex of the animals within the tank. So, for example, if the average length for a female harbor seal is 4.9 feet, we need X amount of dry surface area for for housing those animals. But the average length for a male harbor seal is 5.6 feet. So if we have one male harbor seal, that means we can have two less female harbor seals within our, within our exhibit. They're, they're that detailed and, and that well thought out. And you also obviously have to figure out the various temperatures for the different animals. Some like colder water, some like hot, hotter, warmer water. And I understand you make your own salt water? We do. Why? Why we don't do. you just pour it in from a Long Island Sound, which is nearby? Well, uh, Long Island Sound, as you know, is an estuary. Uh, so it has a measurable dilution of f- freshwater influx. 
Um, the conditions on the western end of the sound are entirely different than the condi conditions you see on the eastern side of the sound. Um, and us being on the Norwalk River have another problem, and that is the river itself. On an ebb tide, um, we have a, a, a certain salinity and a, a depth gradient for that salinity. And on a flow tide, we also have we have a different uh, uh, salinity gradient and, and depth requirement. So um, we we would have to compensate to uh, bring salinities to um, where they need to be to really accommodate all the animals that we have here at the aquarium and not the ones that just thrive uh, right outside our door here. So do you pour in lots of kosher salt? We do uh, an awful lot of salt. We produce over 2,000 uh, of, uh, gallons of salt water a day. Isn't salt uh, water corrosive? Salts are very water corrosive. Uh, one of those things that people tend to forget about uh, operating an aquarium is that it is a very, very corrosive environment. And the other thing that most people don't uh, uh, think about or, or consider is the fact that almost all of my animals are on life support. It's a little different to run a zoo where you're maintaining a, a pride of lions out 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 in a field and or in the, and in the same habitat that you and I and same uh, environment that you and I require. It's entirely different uh, when you're when you're dealing with fish and and aquatic animals. Uh, we have a question from Hannah from Bushwick who wrote in. Does tapping the glass really hurt the animals? Uh, can they hear my voice through the glass? Can they see through the glass? They can absolutely see through the glass. They can ab absolutely recognize uh, people and, and variations in, in people through the glass. Right now we're working with a researcher uh, from the University of Pennsylvania who's doing behavioral studies on some of our fish um, that we maintain here at the aquarium. And the data that she's collecting shows that uh, the fish react certainly differently um, to the public. Um, as well as the age and maybe it's the stature of our public. They tend to be, they tend to present themselves and act differently in front of children than they do adults. Wow. And um, it's, it's fascinating, fascinating work. Um, but to answer your question, do they, does tapping on the glass really affect them? It's annoying. Uh, Long-term effects, probably not. But one of the things that we try to minimize to our the best of our ability is stress. Um, all of us are subject to it, and um, it, it's the precursor to disease. Um, most all of us have some bug that we're harboring, and it's when our bodies are stressed and our immune systems are compromised that that bug gets a foothold and is allowed to uh, take over and, uh, and wreak havoc with our lives for uh, a few days. And uh, it's the same with fish, and most certainly we want to minimize any type of stress that, uh, that is unnecessary, and, and tapping on the glass just to elicit yeah. a response from the fish is, is certainly unnecessary. It's annoying to us as well. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I have very little time, but I want to get Amy in. Amy, could you ask a question really fast? Yes, hi. I wanted to know my son, we've been going to the museum since he was two, and he's always been interested in marine life. And I'm just wondering what kind of different degrees to work in the aquarium, what kind of um, college degrees you need, and what kind of different jobs there are that, that he could pursue. 
Oh, that's a, it's, it's a short question, but a long answer. Um, one of the things, many of the things that I'm looking at in a uh, job applicant's uh, background is certainly a degree in marine biology, biology, zoology, and et cetera. Uh, if you're interested in marine mammal training, um, a psychology degree or psycholo psychology experience is also beneficial. Within the zoological uh, in the aquarium world, uh, we have uh, biologists who study disease. We have water quality special, specialists who, who just look at the chemistry of our water and our systems. Uh, we have marine mammal trainers who, who train the animals. Um, and we have aquarists who, who maintain our exhibits. And um, we, ha we have to leave it there, unfortunately. Oh, unfortunately. But thank you both so much for being on our show. John Lenzicki is the animal curator at the Maritime Aquarium at Norwalk, Connecticut. And uh, we've also spoke, speak, little, spoken with Dave Sigworth, who is the aquarium's publicist. Thank you both so much for participating in today's Please Explain Look at Aquariums. Thank you. Larry. You're very welcome. Our pleasure.